the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Some time ago, there was a great disaster at sea. A tourist boat loaded with both cars and people had pushed off to go on their tour, but had failed to close the door properly before they did so. Before they realized what was happening, they were far from shore and water began to pour in to the ship. And the happy and relaxed atmosphere quickly changed to one of panic. As something far worse than what they could have imagined began to happen. And in the midst of their panic, all of a sudden, one man who was not a crew member took charge. With a clear voice, he gave orders, telling people what to do and where to go. And relief began to mix in with the panic as people realized at least someone was in charge. Many managed to reach lifeboats that have otherwise would have been missed in the dark and the rush and the fear due to his guidance. And as he got people on the upper decks moving, he made his way down to the lower deck. There he formed a human bridge, holding out on one hand with a ladder and grasping a submerged part of the boat with his other, as many crossed over him quite literally to safety. When the night where mayor was over and the account was given for those who were on board, it was discovered that this man had drowned. He had given his life, assuming the authority that he had taken for himself, by which many had been saved. Now, I share this with you this morning because I want you to bear in mind this image of authority that is quite um, poignant in that picture as we apply it now to where we are in Scripture in Mark chapter 1. Either follow along in your Bible or your bulletin as we look at this theme of authority that comes as the kingdom of God breaks in in God incarnate in Jesus Christ and the rescue mission begins and some lessons that we find as a result. As we open up to this text, as you locate it, recall where we are in the narrative. We were A few verses earlier last week in Mark chapter 1, as the public ministry of Jesus began, as he proclaimed um, the kingdom of God is at hand, uh, repent and believe the gospel as the time has arrived. And then he called the first disciples. So on the heels of that, here they enter their first stop in Jesus' public ministry. Small town of Capernaum, the home of Simon Peter, near the Sea of Galilee. And they begin the ministry um, by going first, where? To the synagogue. They begin with worship, which is a wonderful thing that we should not miss either. And as they enter the synagogue, Jesus begins to teach. And in verse 22, we note that everyone who was gathered was astonished at Jesus' teaching because he taught, here it is, as one with authority and not as one of the scribes. Jesus enters the scene unknown and even unrecognized, which in many ways, when we look back into Scripture, we kind of forget that point. And yet, His authority is not to be missed. It's not overlooked. It's clear. No one had ever heard such authority 
not unlike that man on that sinking ship. It's clear when someone carries authority, and it was the same with Jesus' clear, compelling voice and authority in the midst of the synagogue on that day. He was unlike their scribes. Now, again, we should check a little bit of our bias here. A lot of times when we hear scribes, we hear it in that roll-off of the scribes, the Pharisees, and religious leaders, those guys who were opposed to Jesus. But remember, early on, there wasn't really any opposition. And in these small towns, these scribes are kind of different than the the weightier scribes that are down in uh, Jerusalem, who are coming up with their own rabbinical schools. They're vested in their own thoughts and ideologies and, and expounding on the law. They're just perhaps faithful stewards of the law and the prophets. They would say things like this, which is what was different from them from Jesus. They would say things like, well, Moses said in expounding on the law, or Rabbi so-and-so said, um, pulling a more contemporary example from a school of the day, but never would they talk with such authority of their own accord. They would only point to something they had learned or received. And so here comes Jesus not pointing to Moses, not pointing to the law and the prophets, not even pointing to a contemporary uh, rabbinic school, but rather is pointing to himself, pointing to God as he speaks of his own accord. And for all present, which we would assume includes the scribes and the Pharisees, um, or the scribes rather in their midst, there's a clear recognition of Jesus' authority. Let's pause here and just scrutinize the obvious uh, about what's going on, and perhaps a first lesson about Jesus' authority as the kingdom of God is breaking in. And it's this, as the kingdom of God breaks in, it's clearly recognized. It's clearly recognized. The authority of the kingdom of God, both then and now, cannot be missed. Now, again, we know what authority looks like. We know people who actually have authority by virtue of their title and don't really actually exercise it at all. We have examples of that. We have those who don't, but actually like that man do. So we we know what authority looks like. And, And the same is true in the spiritual realm. We can recognize it in so many different ways. And one thing that the church in the West has missed about spiritual authority is this that same authority dwells in you by virtue of your baptism. You ever thought about that? That's an incredible overlooked point in the West, that as followers of Jesus, by virtue of your baptism, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The Spirit of Jesus dwells in you. And so all the things that we see Jesus does... um, that same Spirit of God dwells in you. doesn't mean He's going to do all those exact things, but He can if He desires to. All the things in driving out the spiritual forces of wickedness, every act from this point to the cross, in fact, the Spirit of God that raises Jesus from the dead dwells in you. If Christians grasp that, my goodness, we would have a transformed church. Not only a transformed church, but a transformed culture in the world. I mean, it's incredible if you think about that. And in many ways, the ploy of our enemy, and remember, he's our enemy, not God's enemy, not Jesus' enemy. Our enemy, the devil, is that we never grasp that. In fact, if we can discount that all day long, or on the other end of the spectrum, over hyper, every rock has a demon under it kind of mentality, and we miss really what's going on, then we're of no use 
And in fact, we're of no real fullness of the faith in walking in who we are and whose we are. Because if we grasp that, the sleeping giant of the church would awaken and would bowl over the kingdoms of this and every age. And that's incredible. But it cannot happen if we remain distracted, disillusioned, disengaged. While the war has been won on the other side of the cross, the, the battles, the skirmishes go on. The kingdom of God is ever advancing, ever getting closer to its full inauguration, its full establishment. But in the meantime, we can fail to see that happening and we can fail to actually lead the lives that God purposes us to lead in the process. There's a great quote by a spiritual giant um, not too long ago by the name of Dallas Willard who basically said, would that we understand, and I always butcher it, I haven't written it down, I read it this week, um, that as believers, it's not about getting to the kingdom, but living in the kingdom now that Christians miss. They think it's off there someday, but we miss the fact that it's here today and that we're called to live in that. And if we miss the authority of the one who dwells within us and our cooperation with him, we miss our God-given purpose. We fail to embrace him. We fail to walk in the fullness of the faith and cooperate with the one who is at work within us, moving in our own will and ways instead of his. And then we withdraw and we miss and we can even advocate abdicate, rather, to the authorities of this age. So, beloved, don't miss whose you are and who resides in you. That same authority resonates within you. And when we recognize whose we are by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you from your baptism, from your embracing of Him every day, we see the fullness of our life in Christ. And I pray it will be so. Because if we do so, if we walk in that way, when the power of God meets the powers of this age, look at what happens back in verse 23. If we look back there, we see that it wasn't just the people who recognized the authority of Jesus, but the whole spiritual realm recognizes the authority of Jesus back in verse 23. In fact, it's so clear that this man comes forward who is, as we see, possessed by a demon and cries out, Jesus, the Holy One of God, who is this um, and what have you to do with us? In a sense, there's even a failed attempt perhaps of, uh, of the spiritual forces of this age to try to exercise some authority over Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Clearly, calmly, come out, and so it did. Now, there's a lot in that we don't understand. There's a lot there we don't even really know. Perhaps this man is a well-known person in his town. Maybe he just seems um, a little off. Maybe he just seems a little um, uh, out of touch. Maybe um, everyone's clear what's going on. We don't know. But there he is, and what is wrong within him that perhaps he couldn't even put his finger on, and no one else in his community could, Jesus did. And in this first encounter, his life, which is capsized, his personality overtaken and overrun by the spirits of this age, who needs both physical and spiritual healing, who knows things aren't at right in his soul, discovers the end of his nightmare in his encounter with Jesus Christ. And when he does, the nightmare stops as Jesus rescues him and then restores him and then later redeems him. And indeed, Jesus has such authority as the kingdom of God advances in far more profound ways than anyone in those small towns would even envision 
wasn't a kingdom that would come in Jerusalem, but something far greater. And as a result, every time this kingdom, the kingdom of God, met the kingdoms of that age or any age, what happens? It clashes with those kingdoms time and time again. Perhaps there's a second point to reflect on as we think about the authority of Jesus and the kingdom of God breaking forth both then and now, that not only um, is it clearly recognized, but it clashes with the kingdoms of this age every single time. We're talking about spiritual warfare. That is what is manifest, and it spills over into the temporal and the physical realm, but it's something that we should recognize happens. We mustn't forget it. And in many ways, again, on one end, we can over-evaluate it. There's always a reason for something that's wrong. It's a spiritual warfare, an attack. Well, that may be it. Also, maybe that it's our own choices and our own desires and our own devices that produce those things. Um, but on the other hand, which is dangerous, and especially in more liturgical traditions at times, is to discount it altogether. And in fact, um, the Church of England, it was within the past couple years now, uh, proposed to revise the baptismal liturgy to remove the renunciation of the devil and all the spiritual forces of wickedness at the front. It was a terrible idea. It's that hyper, well, we know better than that, right? Um, in true B British humor, someone wrote the Telegraph in, a, um, in an editorial uh, opinion column um, in a bit of satire that said, sources close to hell say the devil is pleased um, with the revisions because he is known to wreak havoc, but it is truly hurtful that at every baptism he's renounced outright um, in a sense that somehow we think we know better. Um, but and again, once more, there is our foe, not Jesus' foe, there's our foe, the enemy, and would that it be so in his way that we would never awaken to that. It's important to recognize it because if we fail to overlook the battles raging around us, the battle will turn somewhere else. Remember, beloved, in the midst of the days that we're in, Paul's words in Ephesians 6, that our battle is not against what? Flesh and blood, not against each other, but against the principalities, the powers of this present age. If we forget that we are this side of a cosmic cleanup act on this side of the cross, if we fail to see that our ancient enemy is mortally wounded and his only goal is to take as many of us down with him, and if we fail to stop recognizing that, the battles will take shape somewhere, and they're going to take shape where? Around you, in your homes, in your marriages, in your communities, in the culture, and we miss what's going on. As one colleague put it this week, if we lose sight of the cosmic conflict, we turn it into a civil war. That's a great point. And we're challenged to look at where the battles rage. We must recognize it so that as we walk obediently, cooperating with the Holy Spirit at work with us, we must recognize that it will happen and it will come. As we step out boldly or as we seek to, we will draw incoming fire and in those moments rejoice for you found yourself on the front lines. I was reminded of this, actually I needed reminded of this last Sunday, a week ago. I walked out of church, I drove down the driveway and my day went sideways. Um, I had a auto trouble on the way home. Um, I had a dryer issue later in the day. I had a leaky fridge at night, and, and everything was just all sorts of off. 
Finally, my lovely bride looked at me as I was preparing to leave for our annual clergy retreat, and she said, this is just spiritual warfare. Because if you just give up and you don't go, you're going to miss what God wants to do, right? So warfare can come to keep us distracted, or it can come on the heels to steal our joy. It comes in many different ways, shapes, and forms, but we rejoice in it because, indeed, the kingdom of God will and always clash with the kingdoms of this age, and so we're called to persevere, to press on, to double down in prayer and study, and to give Lord, discouragements and joys as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And here's why. If you look back to the end of our reading in verse 27, we see the end of our story, but also uh, the beginning of it in many ways. After the authority of Jesus is so clearly recognized um, and clashes with the kingdoms of this age and the healing of this man, what happens? We kind of forget this part. Notice where it is. The people are in awe. The people are in awe. And then what do they do? Because of their awe, news of Jesus spreads everywhere. His fame spreads everywhere. In fact, Jesus, in some of the other gospel accounts, has to tell them that that we're not there yet, right? We're not at the cross yet. We're not on the other side. Hold your peace for a bit. But they cannot because they've been uh, encountering the transformation that they've, they've sought that resonates with the very fiber of their being as they've encountered God incarnate. And so, too, with us, when we do God's work, when we cooperate with God's work in our lives, it does what? It captures our hearts, and it captures the hearts of those around us. That's what the kingdom of God does. That's what God will do. And thanks be to God, because evangelism, that really scary word that every church person hates, that they're scared to death of what do I do, how do I say, isn't dependent on you at all. In fact, in many ways, sometimes you'll get into those. We do need to have an account for the faith that is within us, as Scripture reminds us. But more often than not, it comes when we are bold enough to talk about what God's doing or vulnerable enough to open up to a parishioner or even someone beyond about the struggles we have and the ways that God is continuing to restore and redeem us. So many in recovery work do that well. It's not incumbent upon you or me. It's incumbent upon us to be obedient. And when we live and walk and speak in the authority of Jesus and proclaim what he has done and is doing in our lives, it captures hearts because that's God's work. It's not our work. We're just called to be faithful to it. And those are the moments where God breaks into the world, how his fame spreads. It's not through my wisdom or might nor yours, thanks be to God, but just a boldness to be out and share it. And that, my friends, is what we're called to do because it will reach its fulfillment upon Jesus' return when that cleanup act is complete. And so remember that while the world rides, while battles rage on, the war is won. The shrieks of this world have no claim on us or the world around us because Jesus is already victor and king. He's not out on the battlefield, but sitting on his throne, and he reigns and rules. And would that we recognize that and live into that every day. Because today, in this gospel reading, stands before us the beginning of the story to remind us of the end of it. One where the kingdom of God continues to advance daily, whose authority is clearly recognized, and whose presence clashes with the kingdoms of this and every age and whose presence will capture hearts 
amidst all that is going on in our lives individually and the culture around us, never forget that. Never forget who dwells within you. Listen to him. Live obediently unto him and walk in his ways daily in word and deed so that others might be brought under his gracious reign and rule. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.